0: I'm Candace Long with Lessons in the Latter Days, offering biblical commentary to make sense of the times that we're living in. Today in Part 3 of Uncovering the Ancient Snare, I'm calling it Israel's War. In Parts 1 and 2, I gave you the backstory behind the roots of anti-Semitism and how it manifested through the biblical narrative all the way up through Nazi Germany. And now, ironically, while writing Part 3, we are witnessing in real time the horrific attack on Israel by Palestinian terrorist group Hamas during one of Israel's holiest festivals. I need to remind you first, this is Israel's war. And though we stand by them in every way we can, it was foretold 3,500 years ago in the book of Deuteronomy, right before the Jews entered the land. This is an important timeline signal by God for us to pay attention to. And as I've taught many times before, the 40 years in the wilderness leading to the land is a picture showing us what will happen to Israel after traveling 4,000 years from the exodus to the kingdom. Now to the rabbinical sages, 40 years is metaphorical language for four days or 4,000 years. The exodus took place in day two after creation So, when we have journeyed four more days or 4,000 more years to the year 6,000, that's when the day of the Lord begins. Now, this is all God's language, and if we want to understand these times, we have to learn His language. So, by the mere fact that God gave a warning to remember Amalek, then we need to look at what has just happened to Israel through that lens. You'll learn all about that backstory in parts one and two, but suffice it to say here that the timing of this war is an important signal. It means we are very close to the day of the Lord. This is good news for followers of Jesus because he will be coming in the clouds for us soon. But for Israel, there is another script. So I'm reorganizing this episode, part three, to help you understand Israel's place in the very end of days. Believers need to know how to pray for Israel. If we're asking God to swoop down, stop the fighting, and return everything to normal, this kind of prayer is magical thinking when dealing with the biblical end of days. Both Testaments teach us how bad things are going to be for Israel before the Lord comes for us. He will lead them straight into the seven horrible years known as the birth pangs, which will birth the messianic kingdom. They will endure awful times for our benefit, but during this time, the Father has angels assigned to seal those who are His and protect them just like He did during the Exodus in ways we know nothing about. Living miraculously is their ancestral legacy. Angelic hosts will fight on their behalf. We can lift them up to the Father for mercy and divine protection, especially for those who are to be sealed. But we cannot rescue them from their appointed time at the end of days. No one could prevent our Lord from going through Gethsemane and the crucifixion. It was a time unlike any other, fixed by Almighty God and foretold by Jesus himself. In the same way, no one can prevent this season for them if we are truly at the appointed time, which I believe we are. As I taught in parts 1 and 2, God left Amalek in the land to test his people. God said so. So what Israel is going through now is one of those tests. Will the Jewish people trust him through these sorrows or will they abandon him? And we are witnessing their struggle and should pray that they choose him. Now let's go back to God's final warning to Israel in Deuteronomy 25, right before entering the land. He told them to remember Amalek, whose bloodline will always be inflamed with hatred for the Jews. They were to wipe out the memory of Amalek in the earth. But as we have seen, the spirit of Amalek continued to show up generation after generation. Now, in this episode, I want to share three initial observations. Observation number one, we are witnessing today the result of Jews allowing their enemies to live next to them without wiping them out when God told them to. Now, you may recall that Gaza was part of the territory originally given to the tribe of Judah, but they never could fully conquer them and drive them out and we are dealing with the aftermath of that. In the same way Saul did not wipe out Agag, the king of Amalek, when he had the chance, that decision to spare him opened the door for Amalek's bloodline to live on and surface in the person of Haman, who embodied anti-Semitism and almost succeeded in destroying every single Jew in the Persian Empire. Now, we may only remember the end of the story when God came in and saved the day and killed Haman, but observation number two concerns what opened the door for all the Jews to be killed in the first place. In other words, what did the Jews do wrong to bring about such judgment from God? Because remember from Proverbs 26, a curse without cause does not come to pass. Now, the understanding is that if God's people walk in his ways, nothing can harm them. But if they are not walking rightly, the enemy will have cause to harm them. So we have to ask the same question regarding Israel. What opened the door to this massacre? The answer is found in the book of Esther. Now, during Queen Esther's day, the Jews were in exile. They had turned their back on God. They quit living by the Torah, and as a result, they lost the temple and were scattered throughout the Persian Empire, which is today's Iran. This was about 450 years before Jesus was born and some 20 years before Ezra and Nehemiah were given permission to return and rebuild the temple. Now, the story opens with King Ahasuerus throwing a party for all of his leaders. That party lasted 180 days. Now, remember, God's numbers in the Bible are very significant. Messianic Rabbi Michael Washer writes that this is a hidden picture. 180 days is six months, which the sages regard as a tavnit, Representing six thousand years of human history, after which comes the kingdom. This interpretation is confirmed in chapter one, verse five, which says When these days were completed, referring to the six months, the king gave a banquet lasting for seven days, in the court of the garden of the king's palace, unquote. This seven-day banquet is a hidden reference to the seven-year wedding feast in heaven, the king's palace, after the 6,000 years are completed. I want to show you three lessons that we can draw from this passage. Lesson number one is that from the beginning of chapter one, God tells us the book of Esther is not just a little story from of old. Rather, it has significance about the days that we're living in now, right before the day of the Lord. Lesson number two shows us the open door that made the Jews vulnerable then to being destroyed. Here's where we need to pay attention. What was the open door in Esther's day? And could this be the same thing that opened the door to Israel's attack? According to a key rabbinical source, the Jews living in exile in Persia endangered themselves by participating in the king's pagan six-month-long feast. Now, let me repeat this again because it is loaded with application. The Jews living in Persia, in other words, God's people had been expelled from their land and were living alongside Gentiles and they endangered themselves by participating in the king's six-month celebration. Now, here's what made this dangerous. The celebration overflowed with non-kosher food and wine, using utensils that the Persians stole from the temple during the invasion. It involved going to festivities on the Sabbath, and this way of life was diametrically opposed to the lifestyle God laid out for his people, which was what? To follow God's ways and guard them. Not doing that caused their exile in the first place, according to all the Old Testament prophets. But the Jews kept on living like Gentiles, doing what the other nations do, because it was fun, it was freedom from all that strict Torah stuff. This has always been Israel's greatest temptation the desire to live like other people, be accepted by Gentiles who have power and influence. The Torah way of life is strict, God's way is narrow, and has always been associated with the Sabbath, circumcision, and the kosher laws. These are the three things that drive Gentiles crazy. Now, from God's perspective, these so-called commandments were set up by him specifically to separate his people from the way of the Gentile. This is part of the Shema, which devout Jews recite every day. Here's the last part of it, which comes from Deuteronomy 6, quote, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words that I, God, set up for you today shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Unquote. These words aren't just some crazy rules. They came out of the mouth of God as pictures to show that walking in God's ways make His people different. It's those things that set them apart and sanctify them. And in just a moment, you're going to see how doing those things protects them. Let's look at these three laws individually a minute. The kosher laws are a picture to learn from. They teach that God does not want his children to be nourished and sustained by the ways of the Gentiles and by food that has likely been sacrificed to other gods. Circumcision is a picture too, graphically showing that God removes the excess flesh from his men in order to protect the holiness and purity of the seed, the semen, and keep it from defilement. And the Sabbath, too, is a picture of honoring the appointed time that God set to meet with him and study his Torah. God set that up himself in Genesis, according to the order of creation. And so to dismiss the Sabbath as unimportant denies the God of creation. So in the very beginning of the story of Esther, we find the Jews immersed in Gentile celebration. They wanted to go to the parties and eat food that the Torah denied them. They wanted to have fun. This was the open door to wipe them out. They chose the Gentile ways over God. The same question now needs to be asked of today's Jews. Was the nation following the ways of the Lord on October seventh, 2023? The attack took place on the Sabbath. Were they honoring the Sabbath? Were they celebrating the Feast of Sukkot? Or were they celebrating music festivals and doing their own thing that had nothing to do with the Lord? You see, the day of the attack was significant. I see it as a billboard for all the world to see, as if God was pleading, I'm here to meet with you. Are you here with me? If not, the enemy will use this as an occasion to come against you. Return to your covenant of carrying my Torah into the world. This is what will guarantee your protection, not the Iron Dome or the sophistication of your intelligence network. You see, the Father is putting his finger on the jugular vein that leads to the heart of the Jewish people. This should be our prayer. Lord, help them choose you above all else. Lesson number three, God is also speaking to us Gentile believers. Many of you won't like to hear this, but Christians are falling into the same snare. Many do not want to align with Israel by becoming Torah observant. We prefer to participate in the Gentile traditions of our day, like Christmas and Easter and Sunday dinners. These are not celebrations Jesus would have attended. These are Gentile traditions, and part of why we do them is so we will blend in like everybody else and not stand out. And we must ask ourselves, could this be the reason doors are now open to our enemies? The bottom line here is that God is restoring His ways, and we too must choose between our traditions or God's. Observation number three concerns the rise of anti-Semitism. In part two, we saw how Scripture followed Amalek's bloodline to Haman and settling again in Nazi Germany, a nation descended from Amalek, and they succeeded in destroying six million Jews. The Bible teaches us that hatred of the Jews will not go away. In fact, it will get worse. In Zechariah 12, we read, quote, The word of the Lord concerning Israel. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples, and all the nations of the earth will come together against it, unquote. Zechariah used the phrase, on that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone. In Hebrew, the phrase on that day refers to the tribulation period, which we are not yet in. Many nations, most especially the United States, are fully standing with Israel now and its right to defend itself. But do not be surprised if something happens that shifts the public sentiment and suddenly nations start turning away from Israel. I want to read you something written by the founder of BeholdIsrael.org. He is born-again Israeli Amir Safarti. He wrote that at 6.30 on a beautiful Sabbath morning, unbeknownst to anyone, a three-pronged attack occurred. Number one, drones dropped bombs on Israeli military outposts along the border fence. Number two, thousands of rockets made it past the Iron Dome defense system. Number three, the border fence was blown open and more than a thousand terrorists poured through to hunt Jews. It took four hours for the military to make a unified response, and by this time the carnage was devastating. He wrote, quote, this is not about land, it is about religious-based genocide fueled by Iran, unquote. He said the only solution is for Israel to eliminate Hamas, but he ends with these questions. What happened at the border? How could we not see this attack coming? With all our intelligence services, the best in the world, how could we not know about this attack? Before closing part three, I want to leave you with several takeaways. First, in my series on Ukraine, I pointed out the three stages that happen when God turns a nation over to an enemy. Stage one is the siege That's when an unseen enemy force surprisingly comes upon a country. Stage two is the breach, which are the specific areas of breakthrough where there was easy access. And stage three brings destruction. In this attack, the siege happened when the drones scattered the Israeli army that were stationed along the border fence. There were three areas of breach. The armed guards, the attack from the sky with no protection from the Iron Dome, and then the explosions at the fence itself so the terrorists could pour through into Israel. Now, God is showing here that Israel is in a vulnerable position right now. He is getting their attention, especially if Russia and Iran are supporting Hamas. Takeaway number two is the timetable of this event. It happened during one of the holiest times of the year, the festival of Sukkot, which is when Jesus was born, by the way. It is also called the Feast of Booths. Sukkot, which means booths, celebrates God's divine protection, which he personally gave Israel throughout their 40-year journey. They lived under his booth, under his glory cloud covering. Now, there is a great irony here where I believe God is saying, are you trusting me on this day as your protection, your shield, your sure defense, or are you trusting in your iron dome and your intelligence systems? Moses prophesied right before he died in Deuteronomy 32 that when Israel came into the land, they would turn to other things, other gods, For their protection, he wrote, You are unmindful of the rock that begot you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord may well be stripping Israel of everything they have trusted in, not to destroy them, but to turn them back to Him. Remember, Israel was called to be God's light to the world, displaying His might. The final takeaway for me is the exact time of the attack. It came on the final day of the Festival of Sukkot, which in itself contains two separate celebrations. One of them is Simchat Torah, which means rejoicing in Torah. Now, During this part of the festivities, the people march and dance with the Torah scrolls in the synagogues. It is a joyous occasion for God's people. One of my favorite parts when worshiping in a synagogue is when the Torah scrolls are carried out into the congregation. We always stand for this part of the service out of reverence, and as it passes by, we reach out to touch the Torah with a Bible or a shawl, and we bring that to our lips. I believe God is saying, If my people had been celebrating Simchat Torah, they would have been covered by my protection. This is an important Tavnit we need to ponder. Next time in Part 4, I will continue to weave the emergence of Amalek with what we are seeing unfold in Israel today and try to offer some direction about ways that we can best support Israel in these difficult days. I encourage you to read the book of Deuteronomy while we go through this series. God's Word, His Torah, is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I want to thank you for taking time to listen. You'll find this episode... The Ancient Snare, Part 3, Israel's War, on my podcast site at CandiceLong.com slash podcasts. If you subscribe, I'll send you links to all of my resources to help you find your destined place in these end times. I'm Candice Long. Join me again next time for Lessons in the Latter Days. God bless.